We thank You, Lord, for what You're doing with people all over the world. Lord, You're moving. Even as we speak tonight, there are millions of Christians gathered all over the world. We're praising You. We're trying to grow in their faith. We're trying to obey the same Lord that we serve, and we thank You for them. I even think, Lord, tonight of the persecuted church, of the men and women, children that are suffering and dying for their faith in the Middle East, in China, in Europe, in Africa, South America. I think, Lord, even of these three young girls that were shot the other day, in my opinion, completely because of a young man's antagonism towards Christianity. The news will never cover it like that, but that answers the question why. You've been heckling them for weeks. Lord, you know that your bride is hated in the world. You know, Heavenly Father, that you've told us, in fact, that if they hated me, you said they will hate you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of suffering in your name. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being reviled because of Christ. We love you, Lord. And we gather together tonight because we want to reach people. We want to be winsome for Christ. We want to make the Lord Jesus attractive to a lost world. Help us in that endeavor in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's do our little exercise again tonight. How many of you have prayed at least two or three times this week for your five friends on your list and you've been praying for an opportunity as well to share with them? Stand up. All right, now you know now, stay standing. This is an encouraging sign because this is a little more people than the last week. So I'm glad to see some of you may not know about this assignment. But, very good. Now, how many of you have had some answers to those prayers this last week or two? Stay standing up. You've had the opportunity to share with someone or something or other uh, in this last week. Tommy, go ahead. I see you right there, Tommy. This is Tommy. Tom. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> well, they've been writing in there. Oh, yeah? <coughs> you could actually just call in all of you and say, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but we play your music at our church on the weekends. <laughs> like last week in Lakeville, the guys performed Jesus is just all right with me. So you just, you just call them and tell them that, okay? That'll probably change their view of what they think. Cool, Tom. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah? Awesome. Cool. Great. Yes? What was your opportunity? Oh, I'm going around the room, young lady. You stand up. You get to speak, you know. So don't sit down because I see you. Okay. What was your opportunity? And that knee? 
Right. That's so bad. That's You can sit down. You know, that's one of the reasons we send out the advertisements. It's to soften the ground for you. One day it's kind of our dream that every single person, kind of like we were selling cars and we were dealership, yes, what's the first dealership that comes to your mind? They'd say, you know, the Evergreen dealership. We'd like to have that happen with the church, you know, eventually. So it's kind of like if we're in a war, the uh, flyers are our bombs, and we're leveling the ground so that the troops can come in. It's pretty easy pickings. Anyway, Shane. Uh, one gentleman at work I uh, had been talking to him over some time. I found out that his aunt was directly across the street. Uh, they have never come here. And I told him that he's never been here, so I'm working on my whole family. Right across the street. Great, Shane. All right, yes. That's okay. Can't ignore that. <laughs> right? So you get to multiply the message, you know. <laughs> Nobody did? Good. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Jeff? Good. Wonderful. Excellent. And that neat? Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, I had a neat opportunity last Sunday. You know, I've been, of course, praying the Lord would use me and open doors for me. And so I was sharing when life hurts in Plymouth, and I finished this last week. And Mickey, some of you know Mickey was sharing her testimony. And, and uh, I had a, a couple of people come up, but one person in particular, and grab my hand and say, this morning was a very special morning for me. In other words, you know, I accepted the Lord kind of a thing. And so it was really neat to see, you know, the Lord uses us. We just got to keep praying for those opportunities. Rich. Wonderful. <laughs> it's great. Kathy, talk really loud. Please, there you go. I can hear that. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Isn't that neat? That a girl, awesome. Thank you. Yes, right there. And what on his neck? Oh, yeah. Okay, now I wear it under my shirt all the time. You just can't see it. Awesome. Well, you know, that's kind of how it works, Mom. Sorry to tell you that. If you can't go to the church Mom goes to, but if you leave, you know, they'll, they'll come. Yes. How about right back there, Mike? Awesome. Awesome. And Cindy, how about you? One more. Go ahead. Awesome. You can sit down. I'm sorry. We'll hear some more next week. I promise. Now, for those of you who don't know what they were doing, your assignment when we started the seminar was to make a list of five people who you know don't know the Lord, who aren't presently attending a church regularly, and who live within a close proximity to you so you can do the things I'm going to talk about tonight and next Wednesday. Okay? And you're praying that God would save them, that they would come to Christ. And secondly, that God would open a door of opportunity for you to be able to share with them. Now, what you've seen tonight is an example that God answers our prayers. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. The Bible tells us in Timothy to pray for all men... For God desires that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? So God wants us to be praying. God wants us to be asking. God wants us to be expecting. And you know what? How many of you found that since you've been praying, you're just a little bit more alert, a little bit more discerning? Raise your hand. You see? You see? Prayer makes a dull heart sensitive. That's one of the primary reasons... Jesus told us to pray. It gets us in tune with God. It gets our hearts sensitized to the needs around us. And before you know it, you're seeing with spiritual eyes instead of just with physical eyes. And you're starting to see, wow, there's needs around here. You know, you don't have to look very far to see there's hurting people all around us, do you? And hurting people need what you and I have. (coughs) All right. I have a number of things I want to share with you tonight. These will be mostly very practical things, but the first thing that I want to share with you this evening is that no one in this room needs to have the gift of evangelism to be effective in evangelism. I shared with you earlier on that the reason Jesus left us here was to reach lost people for Christ. He cares about a lost world. Now, does He care about you? Of course He does. You're His child. You already know Him. His Holy Spirit lives in you. You're destined for heaven. He's coming back for you. He answers your prayer. He's giving you your word. You're in the family of God. Great. Now keep that up. Keep going. But remember, there's an entire world out there of about five billion, five and a half billion people who do not know Christ. Many, billions of them, have never even heard about Jesus Christ. And God left us here to love them 
to reach them, to be ambassadors, representatives of God to them, to bring them to Jesus Christ. That's our role. That's our mission. That is what gives our lives meaning. Without that, we have no meaning, not an eternal meaning. We might have our own meaning that we've made up, but we don't aren't lining up with God's value system and principles for our life. Every one of us in this room can be effective at winning people for Christ. You know why? Let me give you four simple things. Number one, you can all be a friend. Every single one of you in this room can be a friend to someone else. Do you know what Jesus, one of the things Jesus was persecuted about from the Pharisees? He was persecuted that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, let's just talk about this for a moment before I give you the other three. Why would this be so striking? Well, let's, let's pour, first paint the backdrop of Jew, Jewish society. Okay? Jewish society is very different than any other society in the world. Jewish society was completely a, the original religious society. It was meant to be a theocracy where God ruled the nation of Israel and He ruled them through His priests and they had this big temple. And as some of you remember seeing Indiana Jones. Well, there was the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark gave them great power and it represented God's presence and God lived in the temple at that time. And so, then there was these religious fanatics known as Pharisees and Sadducees and they were very oppressive people. They were very self-righteous, self-arrogant, but they were sort of the ruling class. And say they had grossly misrepresented God. It's one of the reasons why I'm starting this series this weekend called What is God Really Like? Because God has been so grossly misrepresented by the religious community. And the same thing had happened then. In those days, the Pharisees wouldn't even have anything to do with the leper. You remember when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember who passed the thief? or not the thief, but the, the man who had been beaten and robbed? A, a Levite. And then a Jewish priest. And they crossed the other side of the road. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. Guess who had something to do with them? The hated Samaritan, that's who. And the man who was beaten and down had been robbed was Jewish. Samaritans didn't have anything to do with Jews. What was God painting? He was painting the picture of God's relationship to us. So Jesus comes into the world, He comes into the Jewish world, and He's completely different than what the Pharisees had represented him to be. He was compassionate. He didn't try to load the people down with a lot of do's and don'ts. He spoke the truth to them, but he healed them. He cared for their needs. He reached out and touched them. He made himself very available to them. He answered their requests. He associated with them. The Pharisees wouldn't have been caught dead at Zacchaeus' house for a party or at Matthew's. Or when Jesus is speaking at Simon the Pharisee's home and the harlot is crying over his feet and wiping his feet with her hair, why the Pharisees wouldn't have had anything to do with her, they would have put her out. But not our Lord Jesus, not God. God was different. The power of association is one of the greatest ways that you can show the love of Christ to a lost world. Because you know why? They don't expect you to want to hang around them. How many of you, when you first came to Christ, started to feel uncomfortable on your unsaved friends? Raise your hand. And that, that's raise your hand really high. All right. What are some of the reasons you started to feel uncomfortable? Yes. 
Pardon? They thought you were going to get weird. Okay, they thought you were going to get weird. Yes, Electa? Sure. Right. Okay, yes? Okay. Over here, Peter? Okay. All right. Uh, if I care, Jeff? I got a little tired. <laughs> what? I got tired and also really hurt. Okay, Tom? I didn't like Okay. All right. Anybody else? Got a different thought? Yes? Right. Okay. Okay. These are natural feelings to a person who was once unrighteous and is now righteous. The Bible tells us in Peter that Lot was tormented, his soul was tormented night and day by the lawless deeds of wicked men. That's kind of how it feels, doesn't it? It's kind of tormenting. Like, I remember when I came to know Christ, and like this uh, Lecter was sharing a moment ago, uh, most of the guys I was around or that I worked around, you know, they're basically young guys between the age of 18 and 29 talk about one primary thing when you're around them, and that's a woman's body. I'm just being blunt and frank. Now, ladies, it is just as oppressive to a Christian guy as it is to you as a woman. In fact, most of them say far more rude, crude, sickening, pathetic, wicked things around us than they ever do around you. And it grates at you, and you want to throw up, and you want to smack them, and you want to get mad, and you want to go, oh, and you don't want to be around them. Now, that's good and it's bad. It's good because it's a good thing that the Spirit's in you and you're tormented. Let me ask you this. Do you think you feel any worse than Jesus did? How do you think the Lord felt? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, these are one of those deep thoughts you sit in your room. Have you ever really thought about this? Let me give you this little thought to chew on. Any holiness that comes out of this that makes sinners not want to be around us, and I'm generalizing now, probably isn't the kind of holiness that came out of Jesus. You know why I say that? The only people, and again, I'm generalizing. There were many people who didn't want to be around Jesus, but primarily the only people who didn't want to be around Jesus in the New Testament were who? Who? The the Pharisees. The self-righteous religious nuts. All the rest of the wicked people Wanted to be around the Lord. Have you, you, you that, go think about that sometime, and ask yourself, "Whoa, wait a minute, Mark. What are you saying?" What I'm saying is Jesus was very popular with heathen. Of course, they killed him too. <laughs> you got to remember that. You know, it goes both ways. One day they kiss you, the next day they kill you. What I'm trying to get at is that Jesus loved them in spite of their repulsive behavior. Now. 
You and I in this society, generally speaking, aren't going to come across the leper whose hands are melting off, whose face is dripping off, and we have to touch him. You're not going to come across that very often. You know what you're going to come across? You're going to come across an emotional leper. You're going to come across the repulsive, sinful, on the inside leper that you work with. There was, um, you give me an example. Um, wait a minute, I want to give you the next thought first before I tell you this. The second thing you can be, besides a friend, is a servant. Is a servant to lost people. Now, I give you two verses. Matthew chapter 20, 28. Jesus said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Now, who was Jesus serving when He came? Was He serving saved people or lost people? Lost people. Who do we primarily end up serving? I think we need to reevaluate that a little bit. Don't you? Jesus spent primarily much of His time serving lost people. We spend primarily much of our time serving saved people. God simply wants us to do both. Okay? He wants us to do both. Now, of course, Jesus couldn't save, serve too many saved people because the message of salvation hadn't been given yet. And it was He had 12 disciples who were sort of saved and He hadn't died yet. So, of course, that's part of the reason. There was no church yet that had been birthed. But Jesus was serving lost people. Secondly, if you go to Corinthians, I think it's chapter 9, Paul says, Though I am free from all men, I have made, I have, I have made myself the slave of everyone, that I might win as many as possible. So I call this servant evangelism. And you could put underneath it friendship evangelism. Okay? And my opinion is, it's like taking candy from a baby. If more people would emphasize this in their life and make this part of your lifestyle, you will win people to Christ this year. And the next, and the next, and the next. So I'm going to tell you a story. I used to work at this um, dealership, this Cadillac dealership. And uh, mechanics, you know, some mechanics are wonderful men. Other mechanics aren't such wonderful men. In general, though, I'm generalizing once again, they tend to be a vile lot, at least the ones I worked with. Primarily focused on the snap-on tool man's nude woman calendar that hangs in all their toolboxes. Okay? it's one of the reasons they like the snap-on tool man so much. So I worked with these guys. I was behind the parts counter, see, at the Cadillac dealership. My job is to make... Uh, the mechanic's job is easy as possible, to find them the parts to fix the car. Mechanics make their money by getting the work done faster than the book tells them it can be done. Here's how they develop book time. They, if you go into a Cadillac dealership, they'll go, well, this job, they'll give you an estimate, this job will take about, uh, the book says, 2.5 hours. What that means is that a mechanic at a school, without air tools, by hand, but he's trained, took two and a half hours to get that job done. But in the shop, they have air tools. And they know how to cheat, and I mean cheat in a good way. They know how to do things quick. And so the goal is to get it done in an hour instead of two and a half, but the mechanic gets paid for two and a half. Okay? So, my job was, and I always saw this as my, my opportunity, was to get them their part as quickly as I could. 
So I would practice going through the books and I would practice running back to get a part. And I would go above and beyond because I really want to win these guys. I'd jump over the counter and I would take the part to their bumper and I would set it on the toolbox. There was a guy there. His name was Mike Higgins. Not the Mike Higgins that you know from Evergreen. So make that really clear. And this guy, he was really vile. He was probably the most vile, hedonistic man that I've ever known. And there was one female salesperson at the Cadillac dealership. And um, he was married, had a couple kids, but he was always coming on to her all the time. Whenever she'd come out in the shop, he'd do it in front of his wife when she'd come and see him. He's always treating her really meanly. And this guy would come up and he would come, you mother of F Mark, get the mother and get up here and give me my part. And um, that was just, that was every day. That was 10 or 15 times a day. Just from him, let alone the other mechanics and the service manager who had his master's in psychology and had a wall that hung on his office that said to err is human to forgive is not my policy. So I have worked with some really vile, repulsive people. And this guy would play you. One day he'd go, oh, yeah, you're great. And the next day he'd go, you son of a... You get over... And, you know, they just... They'd go off on you. got to remember, you're dealing with heathen. They're helpless and harassed. you got to remember that. Or you want to smack them. Okay? <laughs> so, one day, uh, you know, I went home. And I was talking to Kathy and... At the time, I was not very wealthy. I'm not wealthy now, but let's say I was extremely poor. And I um, said, you know, Kathy, I would, I'd like to figure out a way to reach out to these guys. And, and I believe that acts of kindness, and I'm going to get to this verse in a moment. In Matthew, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I believe that kindness is the essential tool for the effective evangelist. So she said, well, you know, Mark, uh, one day these guys were all talking. They were around the corner. So you pick up on these things. And they were all talking, yeah, my wife, you know, blankety blank. She makes popcorn. We don't even get real popcorn. We don't even get real butter anymore. So they were all talking about this. So I went home, I thought, <laughs> popcorn. Every day when I go home for lunch, I'm going to pop a high V grocery sack. That's kind of like cub food grocery. A high V grocery sack full of hot air popcorn. And then every week I'm going to buy a whole pound of butter. And I'm going to have Kathy, we're going to put butter, real butter, on this popcorn. And then I would double sack it, and I'd keep it in the oven till I eat my lunch. And then I'd put my heater on, down by, I mean, I'm really serious about this, I'm not exaggerating. i put my heater on, and let it blow on the sack to keep it hot. And I would take it to work, because one other thing you got to know about mechanics is, they're always hungry. Okay? <laughs> Way to a man's heart, ladies, is to, through his stomach. So... I, brought, I would bring this popcorn to be this whole, and I'd open it up. You know what happens, of course, when you open up a sack of popcorn, and the, kind of like Pepe La Pew, you know? The aroma would just kind of waft out into the, into the, um, the shop. So the guys came up and go, man, what's this popcorn? And I go, you know, I overheard you guys saying that you never get any butter popcorn, and your wives don't fix you any. Well, guess what my wife does? So I brought you guys some. You can have it. I brought it every day for months, five days a week. I'd bring it. They'd just be standing up there gorging on this popcorn. You <laughs> know, it's so good. And um, I still got the hassles. I still got the harassment. But little by little, you know, God started working on these guys' hearts. 
Well, I'd go out of my way to serve him, and I'd go out of my way to help him, but these guys, particularly Mike, was very antagonistic. One day they were all standing up around the counter where I worked, and they were all talking about hell and how much fun it was going to be to go. And they, I, I used to, when my work was all done and my orders were filled, I would stand at the counter waiting to help them, and I had this little uh, incognito living Proverbs. It was in a General Motors planning book, and I stuck the cover over it. <laughs> So I'd just stand in on the counter and I'd kind of read my proverb for the day and these guys, somebody told them, I guess, because you couldn't really tell, and they'd taunt me about it. And so Mike comes up, yeah, I tell you what, I can't wait to get to hell, man. I'm going to be partying with my friends, get drunk all the time, get high all the time, have sex all the time. Man, it's just going to be awesome being in hell. They're talking about this. So then Mike, all these guys, are, there's about ten of them standing around. Mike looks directly at me and he says, hey, what do you think, Mark? Think I'm going to go to hell? And I looked him right in the eye. And there were these ten guys. One of these guys, Mike's best friend who worked there was six, seven, three hundred pounds. He used to play for the Cornhuskers. And I looked him right in the eye. And I said, Mike, I don't think you're going to go to hell. I know you're going to go to hell. I don't have a doubt in my mind, Mike, that you're going to go to hell. And you know what, Mike? And the rest of you guys, there won't be any party. You'll be in the dark, on fire alone, screaming all the time, and that's all you'll hear. And oh my gosh, you could have heard a pin drop in the shop. You motherfucking son of a bitch. And he walks off, and the rest of the guys just one by one hang their heads. And they start to walk off. And one guy, the transmission man, he's sitting on his stool. And he looks up at me, and he said, Mark, you're not joking, are you? And I said, Dan, I'm not joking. I care about these guys. You think? And I told this to all of them, actually. I, I left up part of the story before they left. I said, look, you guys, I'm not saying this to be smart. I care about You think I bring this popcorn for the fun of it? You think I bring this popcorn, you know, so you just think I'm the greatest guy in the world, you know, and I go out of my way to bring your parts. I care about every one of you. Heaven and hell is a real place. Well, anyway, they'd left, and Dan asked, I said, Dan, listen, you don't have to go. This is why Christ died for you. He loves you. He cares about you. Well, he got up and left. About six weeks later is when I was ordained as a pastor, and I had just gotten in a car accident, and uh, my car was totaled. And then, of course, they all found out I was going to become a pastor, and then I gave my notice, and I was going to leave. Plus, I needed another car. So the guy that, at the Catholic dealership, by the way, was a born-again Christian, really loved the Lord. So he gave me a good deal on one of these Oregon lot cars in the back of the lot. And Mike came up to me, this guy who I told him, you know, he's going to go to hell. He came up to me, he said, and him and Tony, big Tony, said, Mark, uh, you know, we just want you to know, we, we really do wish you the best. And, uh, you know, we think you'll make a great pastor. And, we were wondering if, you know, we could do something for you. You know, you're going up there to Minneapolis and you bought that car off the bargain rack back there and it, a lot of busy roads out there, it's tough winter. So we were wondering if we could fix your car up for you. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, cut the brake cables, you know, drain all the oil out of it, kill me in it, you know. I'm really serious. I did not. I was sitting there inside. I was, you know, hiding it, but I was going... Yeah, right, like slipped my own throat, for sure. <laughs> and so, 
I said, well, that's awful thoughtful of you guys. You sure you want to do that? We really want to do it, Mark. We'd like to do it for you. So I said, okay. So they put new brakes on it, rebuilt the carburetor. They, you know, all they bought the parts for cost, and they did it all for nothing. Well, I didn't get the opportunity to lead Mike to Christ. But six months after I was in the cities, I got a call from another friend of mine who worked at the Cadillac dealership, who was a Christian. He said, Mark, he said, I got to tell you something. You are not going to believe this. I said, I'll try me. He goes, remember Mike Higgins, don't you? I said, yeah. Well, guess where he lives? Uh, I don't know. He lives in Minneapolis. He moved up there. He's working for a Oldsmobile dealership up there. And guess what happened? For some reason, he started going to this little Baptist church, and he got saved, and his whole life's turned upside down. Well, I don't take the credit for leading the Lord, but I did what God wanted me to do. I tried to make Christ attractive. I reached out in kindness. I tried to help him wherever I could. I tried to serve him for his best interest by getting him the parts as quick as he could, and he knew that, even though at times he resented me, and even though one day he asked me. You know, I only told him that because he asked me. He asked me a direct question. Is the only reason I told him. How could I lie and say, oh, no, you know, hell, yeah. You, Mike, help? No, nah, I don't think so. That would have been a lie. He knew I was genuine. You see, men and women, if we don't love the repulsive, then who will? Now, I don't, I don't think, particularly for some of you who struggle with alcohol, I want you to be careful when I share this story with you. Probably the best thing for you to do is not go out to a champs with some of your old friends on Friday night and have some beers. But for some of you that did not, that alcohol was never an issue, I want you to know I think it's completely appropriate within the bonds of what Jesus did to go out with some of your co-workers after work and sit around at Fridays or Champs or Applebee's or someplace and have a beer and talk to them about Christ, particularly men. Men, most unbeliever men, when they get a beer in their hand, they're like Linus with his blanket. Have you ever noticed what comes out of the man's mouth when he's got a beer in his hand? Anybody? Anybody ever? Any of you guys ever notice that? They open up. It's uncanny. It's like home improvement with the guys with the tool. All of a sudden, oh, let's talk. A tool, a gun, a fishing pole, or a beer. It's an unbelievable thing. I can't explain it. It's like ladies with coffee. I don't know. You know, they get around. You know, I mean, this is no lie. Go sit in Caribou Coffee. Listen, Caribou Coffee, Starbucks, and Hallmark wouldn't even be in business if it wasn't for females. Particularly Hallmark. You just wouldn't make it. We're just made different. So there's different things that affect uh, d- the different sexes. So you want to find out, well, what's the way to... Now, I'm not saying... I am not saying... Sit around and get drunk with these guys. Not saying that. Don't do that, because that's sin. And I'm not saying it'd be a good idea, like, Peter, all his friends want to still party and use drugs. Drugs still happen to be illegal. <laughs> okay? Just remember that. Okay? Don't smoke a joint for Jesus, okay? I'm not saying that. <laughs> <When I, laughs> Just make sure the only hemp that you have is around your neck, okay? And not a hemp necklace with a roach clip connected to it. I had a friend 
when he first came to know the Lord, he's you know ex Jesus people. I mean, he wasn't ex he was ex hippie and opium dealer, and so. He gets saved, he starts coming to the Bible study, and they're reading their Bibles, and they're taking their Bibles to school, and they're witnessing their friends. And one day they're witnessing their friends, and out from the Bible falls a couple of reefers that they... <laughs> well, they were still, uh, you know, using pot just a little bit. You needed to grow out of that. I'm not telling you to do that, okay? You did, I am not, that is not right to do. Don't do that. Um, I find that generally, you're not going to have a real productive time if you go to an alcoholic party. You probably won't get a whole lot done. Again, it depends on the party. Let me give you an example. Another, this is a really cool example. Um, this was many years ago <coughs> at a, one of my other jobs. I can give you a lot of examples now, but my examples are different. So I'm trying to give you some that I think would make sense to you now. But I'll give you some from currently, too. Um, I was working at this auto parts place, a different one. And uh, I was one of the salesmen. And they had these annual sales outings. Okay? Where you brought your wives, you went to a motel, and you know you stayed there. Everybody basically hung out. You went to a few muffler meetings and battery meetings, and everybody just kind of partied. That's what the weekend was. About three weeks before this weekend, I had taken this territory over and had done it about a year. And in that year, by the grace of God, the territory had doubled. So that kind of got the attention of people. One of the things that will really get the attention of your coworkers is success. Okay. Now I mean. Biblical success, success based on your diligent effort, your integrity, your ethical attitude, and your right living. That'll get attention. So, anyway, my company, they were really cheap. And uh, one day, the guy that was my direct boss was like 5'10", 400 pounds. He was uh, like boss hog on the deuce of hazard. Okay? He's very mean. He was an ex-lineman of football. And the only reason he was not president of the company, because he owned most of the stock in the company, was that at a, one of his sales outings, he got mad at him and knocked him out cold. Punched him, knocked him out cold. This guy was a really violent guy. So, one day, I get these calendars sent over to me. We never had anything to give out to our customers. And it wasn't... Uh, nude calendar of a woman. It was just this seductive sort of picture and with this country scene. And we were supposed to hand these calendars out. So I called up my the vice president of the company who was, you know, a civil man and we, we were pretty good friends. I went over Don's head, in other words. I said, Don, this is Mark from Webster City. I mean, from uh, Ames. And he said, Mark, how are you? I said, listen, Kenny, I'm doing really good today. First thing I wanted to tell you, Kenny, is I really appreciate these calendars. I really appreciate the fact that you're trying to do so. He had just become the sales manager, and he, and he was trying to help out the salesman. That you're trying to get us something to give to the customer. He interrupted and said, well, I'm really glad. Thanks for telling me that. I said, Kenny, I said, I just want to tell you, though, this particular calendar, uh, I'm not going to be able to hand out because, you know, this, this territory is building my reputation. So, if it's okay with you, I'm going to send them back. And he goes, oh, gee, you didn't get the girl calendar, did you? I said, well, yeah. He goes, oh, man, we had antique cars printed up just for you. You, you got the wrong box. I said, well, you know, that'd be kind of nice because I'm in the auto business, not the lingerie business, so that'd be a nice thing. <laughs> and so, he said, look, you just put them on the truck, send them back, and I'll get these out to you. I said, great, thanks. Hung up. Next morning I show up for work about uh, 
And Don's waiting at the door. I mean, you couldn't get even through the door. Don is... And he is hot. He And he lays into me, swear word right and left. You blankety-blank, little blank. He's like this far from me. Spits coming out of his mouth. Who do you think you are? You know, and then you find out, you know, what you're made of. You know, well, Don, I quit. I'm sorry. Don't hurt me, Don! And so, you know, you stand there, and Don goes, you know, who do you think you are? Call and Kenny, you'll hand out these counters or you'll lose your job. <clears throat> so I looked him right in the eye. I didn't take my eyes off his eyes. I said, Don, listen, no one's handing out the calendars here at this store. This store is built on my reputation as a salesman. The reason I didn't call you and I called Kenny was because I knew this would be your reaction. He's sending me over the antique autos and I'd be glad to hand those out. Don't you know I can fire you? I said, sure you can fire me, Don. And you know what? I'm ready to lose my job. But just remember that you were going to close this store. I've seen the books now. And I doubled your territory in a year. And you're making a commission off what I do in this store. If you want to lose that, you fire me. Well, well, you little black... Well, then Larry, the store manager, will hand them out. He said, no, Don. No one at this store will hand them out because this store is built on my reputation out in the territory as a salesman. So he grabs him, he takes him, and he leaves. Two weeks later, we have this big sales outing. Now, this is not my idea of what I wanted to do with my wife. I was working 70 hours a week or more in those days. I didn't get to see her much. So I just kind of wanted to camp out in the motel. I didn't really want to leave the room, you know, order room service, just hang out and get reacquainted and all that kind of stuff. So... Anyway, what we thought, well, you know, we're here, and we're here for the Lord, and we want the Lord to use us. So let's go down to the hospitality room, which I knew was basically where all the alcohol was. The wives and the, and the husbands are down there. So, so we go walk, and we go down the hall, we just go walk into the room, and Wally, he was one of the other salesmen I knew, he goes, Ah! There's Mr. Holier Than Thou and his holy wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, now, let me tell you something about men. You can mess with me, but don't mess with my woman or we want to tear your face off. Right, guys? Right? Is that the truth? Well, Lee Scary, you're a real man. Are you not in your head? That's right. That's how you feel. See? She just totally humiliated us. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do, you know? So I said, Wally, everybody's real quiet. Listen, I said, my holiness was supposed to be our secret. I don't want anybody knowing how great I really am. And I said, ha, 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 you know. You had to be there because it was kind of funny then because it kind of broke this real tense moment. So I went right over to Wally. I sat down and put my arm around him. I said, Wally, man, what's the matter? What did I do? He goes, ah, who do you think you are, man? It's all over the company. You wouldn't hand out them calendars because you think you're better than all of us. I said, Wally, I said, I'm not better than you at all. I said, it just goes against my conscience. I just didn't feel that I could be part of handing out a calendar that I knew men were going to look up at and think about making love to this woman. And then I looked at Wally and said, and you know that's what happens, don't you, Wally, because you're a man. Um, well, he didn't say nothing. So then I'm thinking, now what would Jesus do in this situation? 
He preached. That's what he'd do. No, I didn't do that. I thought, you know what Jesus did? What he'd serve. He'd serve. He'd be the least. And that verse came to mind, I've come to serve. And then you know what came to mind? The wedding feast of Cana. Remember what Jesus did when they ran out of wine? He made more. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to fill all the beer bottles with water and I'm going to turn them into wine. <laughs> gotcha. Anyway, so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm looking around the room and, uh, you know, most people in the room were not drunk at all. This guy was really the only guy. So I'm thinking, this room's really a mess. And there's half-empty bottles that people poured a little out of. Not that they drank out of, but over near the counter where they filled the glass. So that, you know what, Kathy? I said, Kathy, get in the corner and said, we're going to be the waiter and waitress. We're going to be the bartender. We're going to make everybody make sure everybody has a drink and everybody has ice in their cup and everybody has a fresh cup. And we're going over to this corner and we're going to clean it all up. So we did. We went over. We start cleaning everything, straightening everything. Pretty soon the vice president's wife comes over. She goes, I just can't believe you're doing this. She said, you know, this is so thoughtful. This is the worst thing about this outing every year. This is always just a pit. The next thing you know, there's like 20 people over in our corner. And I'm convinced to this day that people drank less because we controlled the flow. They just didn't know that. <laughs> well, the outing ended. We went home. And three days later, I got a call from Wally, the guy who was taunting me. He said, Mark, um, first of all, I want to apologize to you for how I treated you at the outing. Secondly, I'd like to ask you to drive 70 miles over my home after you're off work. I really need to talk to you and your wife. I said, okay. So I got to work that Saturday, got to sit up for my kids, and we drove. Got to his house, sat in his living room, and he said, Mark, he said, I don't know what you got, but I want what you and your wife have. This is my third marriage. I have two daughters. Both have been in reform school. Both have gotten pregnant as teenagers. My life's broken. The next three hours, shared Christ with him. Went back home. A week later, he called. said, I received the Lord. I received Christ. Now, I'm a fanatic about these things. Winning people to Christ is one of the easiest things you'll ever do if you're willing to get your hands a little dirty. If you're willing to hang around people that, you know... I don't enjoy it either. I, I just want you to know something. I don't enjoy the dirty things come out of their mouth. <clears throat> and I don't laugh at them either. I don't enjoy, you know, the kind of language that they use. I don't enjoy, you know... I used to keep in my house, actually I still do, matches and uh, ashtrays. Why? Because I'm trying to win people to the Lord. I've had people, you know, I'm trying to win the Lord, and they'll put me in a car and we'll go, they'll go, oh, they, they want to smoke, they go, oh, can I smoke? And I've seen these Christians, God, please do not smoke in this car, this is God's car. <laughs> That's winsome. That's effective. <laughs> Please don't swear in my car either because I love Jesus. That's really good too. You see Jesus with a sign around him? Don't smoke in my presence. And don't you dare swear either because I'm God. <laughs> okay, now, now you may be allergic to smoke, alright? Seriously, you may be. Or maybe against your conscience, but I don't smoke. But someone smoking in my presence doesn't bother me because I remember all the time I'm on a mission. This body's dying anyway. If it dies sooner, I just get to heaven quicker. You ever thought about that? This is the Lord's body to use. It is a living sacrifice. And if it gets worn down for the sake of sinners, then so be it. Jesus' body got worn down by 33. It was beaten, bruised, and destroyed because of His desire to reach lost people. 
acts of kindness establish credibility. Let me share this with you about the Lord Jesus. How did Jesus establish credibility? By acts of kindness. His miracles were not random acts of magic. They were well thought out acts of kindness towards other people. I could stand up here tonight for a long, long time telling you story after story after story. One of my good friends, Gary, he just had to go. I met Gary seven years ago when he first came to Evergreen. You have to understand that now this is my job. My fishing hole is Evergreen. As I told you last week, basically we built this big pond and we try to stock it with trout that we can fish for. This is where I fish now for many people who are coming here who do not know Christ. And Gary was one of them at the time. I remember Gary coming by me the first Sunday. I was doing a series, How to Keep Your Kids Drug Free. And he came by and he was just completely overcome. He couldn't even speak. He just shook my head and said, thanks. He told me later, because now we've become very close. He said, I went on my car and I wept. I have been looking for this all my life. I had given up, almost given up hope, but I got the sax appeal. It lasted church with sax appeal advertisement in the mail and I thought I'd try it. Well, the next time I met Gary, the second week, uh, he said, Mark, I won't be able to be here next week because um, my business partner's mother died and she was like a, a, a mother to me. And I didn't know him and, you know, I'm not a Hallmark kind of guy. But I thought to myself, I was pretty sure he didn't know the Lord even though he, he thought he did. thought, you know, what could I do to affect this man? So I went and got a card. And uh, he's an artist, so he's into that, you know, he's artistic, he's an interior designer. Got his company, an interior design company. And I, so I went and got this card and I said, Dear Gary, it was a sympathy card. It wasn't a Christian one. It was just a plain old sympathy card. And then I said, Gary... I was just recently at the funeral of a dear friend. It's one of the hardest things that I ever went through. I want you to know that you'll be in my thoughts and my prayers. Sincerely, your friend, Mark. And I mailed it to him. Next time I saw him, grabbed my hand, he said, Man, that really meant a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Well, the next thing we did was we went out to lunch at Ciotti's. First time I went to Ciotti's in St. Paul in Grand Avenue. And we sat there. And we talked, and he began to share with me, you know, how he's always loved God all his life, and nobody's loved God all their life. So I knew instantly he wasn't a Christian. I didn't tell him, you know, I'm sorry, Gary, you're not a Christian. I just listened. I just listened. We had a great time, and then I shared with him my story, how I had come to know Christ. Found out later he went home to his wife and said, you know, I don't think Mark thinks I know the Lord from the story he was sharing with me. I didn't mean to tell him, I didn't tell him that directly. A few weeks later, we went to a play. He and his wife invited us to play called Run for Your Wife at the Old Log Theater. This was not the most clean play I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not necessarily a theater guy. But I went. And I remember Mary telling us uh, there, she said, when I told my teacher friends that I was bringing my priest to this play, she called me her priest then, in those days. You can call me that too if you'd like. Or Pope or something like that. And so, she said, um, she said they couldn't believe me. They said, oh my gosh, you're not taking your priest to that. So I went, and you know, some of it was really funny, and some of it was just stupid. I was here, my wife was here, Mary was here, Gary was here, and I'm sitting there, I could see her going like this. Why? Why was she doing that? See my reaction? 
also because she was paranoid that I wasn't enjoying it. So I laughed. And much of it I laughed because much of it was very funny. And I mean, I really laughed because I thought some of it was just hilarious. After we went, we're sitting out in their little trooper. She said, I'm just so sorry, you two. I'm just so sorry. I just can't say I'm sorry enough. I should have never, we should have never come to this. And I turned around and I said, Mary, listen. I had a great night. And some of it was really funny. But you know what was most important? It's just getting to be with you two. It was really enjoyable to be with the two of you. Well, I was on number six of the series, and it was called The Secret to Being a Totally Awesome Parent. And you know, we have what we call a little stair step to winning people to the Lord. We call it the stairway to heaven. I didn't steal that from anyone either. <coughs> and so, <laughs> instead of asking people to make this Jesus jump, you know, we just take them a step at a time. So that's what I've done with each series. Each one took you a little closer to God. I share a little bit of the Bible, a little more each time. And each time, Gary would be out there going, Yeah, yeah, I agree. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff. So the last one, by the time you're at the last one in the series, usually it's just a little step in you accept the Lord. Because they don't realize it, but they've said yes to you all along. They've been going, well, that's good. Yeah, I like that. Well, I agree with that. They don't realize it, but all along they're agreeing with the Bible. That's the point of our services. So I was praying, Lord, I just pray Gary would come to know you. And at that service, he'd invite you in his life. Well, a week later, we were going out to Tony Roma's ribs, and so we went out, and we're sitting there, and Gary goes, oh, by the way, Mark, so i got to tell you something. Well, I haven't even told Mary. Mary kind of sits up. He goes, you know that service last week? He said, you know when you ask everyone to begin a relationship with Christ? He said, well, I bowed my head, and I invited Christ into my life. And Mary kind of got tears in her eyes, and she goes, well, you know, Gary, I've never told you this, but she was, she was a devout Catholic, went to Catholic school all her life, but when she was in Catholic college, she said there was a girl from Campus Crusade that came to my dorm. And I accepted Christ, but I've never known what to do since then. Since that time, the two kids have gotten saved. They've all gotten baptized. We were like lifelong friends. Am I making my point? Is this like easy to understand? Brothers and sisters, it's like picking fruit off a tree. Just go up, grab a little fruit. No, it's not ripe yet. And keep loving it and incubating it and warming it. And you'll lead people to the Lord. How many of you think you can do these kind of things? How many of you can be a friend, right? You can be a friend. How many of you can be a servant? How many of you can care? You know what the Bible says? Your care for others is the measure of your greatness. Your care for others is the measure of your greatness. And the last thing is, you can speak. You can open your mouth. God will give you opportunities. You know, it's so... I mean this, honestly. I have rarely had an awkward moment when it came to presenting the gospel because... Friends trust friends. My daughter one time, she was kind of learning this lesson, my oldest daughter. And she said, uh, you know, Dad, it's really weird. I was with this friend today, done the Lord, and she's telling me all about her sexual experiences. Have any of you had that, had that happen before? Some unbeliever has the audacity to sit there and tell you all about their sex life. Let me ask you this. If they have the guts to tell you about their sex life, you don't have the guts to tell them about your Christ life? Have you ever thought about that? How much gall and boldness it takes to just kind of go, I was with so-and-so, we did this, and it was... Yeah, thank you, I really wanted to know that. It's uncanny. Do you know what else that says? It says they trust you. It says they trust you. I want to tell you something. Most of the people that are lost in this world have never met a friend like you could be to them. Never. 
The only kind of friends they have are the backstabbing kind. Remember the song, the backstabbers? All they want to do is take your place. The backstabbers, that's the world. They're gossips, they're slanders, they're backstabbing swine. You can change that. You can give them a new representation of Christ by getting involved in their life, by spending some time with them, having them into your home. We're going to get into some of these things in the future. The Bible tells us, do not live as foolish men, but live as wise men, making the most of your opportunity for the days of evil. I want to end with one quick story. It's a letter someone sent me. About four years ago, I had stopped into a McDonald's to get a hamburger and uh, some french fries. So I went in and I got my hamburger and my french fries. And one of the things I do once in a while for relaxation, if you can believe this, is get a hamburger, french fries, and the paper. And just sit in McDonald's and read the paper. So that was my intention. I brought the paper in, got my hamburger and my fries. And I sat down and in walked a woman with about five kids. Now, that's challenging if you know anything about children. So she's trying to get them settled in there. I don't know if they were all hers or not. They were obnoxious. They were very... Uh, they were very unwell behaved. And um, she was getting flustered, like, you know, it would be very normal. And she wanted to get the food, but they wouldn't calm down. So I stood up for a moment and I walked over. I was watching this. I said, excuse me, ma'am. She looked at me. I said, um, I'm sorry if I startled you. I said, my name is Mark Darling and I'm a pastor of a church here in the area. Why did I tell her that? To be, you know, I'm a pastor. I told her that because of what I was going to offer to do. I wanted her to know she could trust me. Okay? So I said, I noticed, you know, I have four children and it can be pretty challenging, can't it? She said, oh man, you know it. And I said, well, if you'd like, I would just stay with the kids here for a moment while you get your food. You would? Well, sure, I would. So I sat down and I'm going with the little toys, you know, that they had playing with. And I'm trying to entertain these kids. And about ten minutes later, she comes back and she says, thank you so much. And she sits down and I, I just left. Four years later, I get this letter. P.S. Mark, I have been praying and bugging a longtime friend of mine to attend Evergreen. She has not attended church for six years and she is very bitter towards pastors in traditional churches. She allowed me a 30-minute sales speech, but insisted that her mind was made up until I mentioned Mark Darling. She nearly jumped from the table when I mentioned his name. Apparently, she was trying to settle her six children at a table at a fast food restaurant in Egan several years ago. She said he came over and graciously introduced himself and offered to watch the children while she got the food. He impressed her so much that she always wondered what church he pastored at. Pray for her. I love her dearly. Now, I, I'm not saying this to boast. I'm not. Any of you, and many of you have done the same kinds of things. I'm just trying to let you know it works. Mark's not making this up. It works. Kindness makes Christ attractive. Kindness has an impact on the world. And guess what? Every one of you in this room can do it. You don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be a great communicator. You just have to love. You just have to extend yourself. If some of my uh, dramatics tonight, sometimes I don't know whether to swear or not to. If I offended you, I'm sorry. We'll try to make sure the tape's a little sanitized before it gets out. If not, I apologize. Explain to your friends I was trying to repeat the kind of things that I went through and that in spite of that, we're trying to love lost people. Okay? Remember this. We're not trying to convert people to our lifestyle. We're trying to win them to Christ. We'll let the Holy Spirit convert their lifestyle. Do you understand that? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank You tonight for Your love, for Your kindness, for Your grace. Lord, I just thank You this evening that someone loved me, that someone cared about me, someone loved me to Christ. And I ask You, Lord, that You would help us now with our five friends, not only to pray for their salvation, not only to pray for an opportunity, but we would begin planning in our schedule a date where we could go to a movie with them, we could go to Fridays with them, we could take them out to lunch, we could begin now proactively beginning to either begin a relationship or reestablish one. Help us, Lord, to imitate your lifestyle, to imitate your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.